This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome into Seattle Sports Tonight here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback Jake Heaps here with you on this Wednesday night. Shout out to you for stopping by, making us a part of your drive home or your your night at home. That's right. Put on the jammies, turn off that TV. You don't need the TV. That was a very sultry voice yeah, right there. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I'm glad you I'm glad you called me out on that. I, when that when that happened, I was like, what? It could we're, have gone whoa. many different ways there. And, yes, and it we're could. just we're trying to stay on track as best as possible. I mean, we're not even a minute in and already we could be getting off the rails here. But uh yeah, this is Seattle Sports at night. We are with you for the very next two hours here on seven ten ESPN Seattle. Less than twenty four hours away. From the NFL draft. Let's go, Curtis. I'm I'm psyched. Are I am, you? I am so psyched. You know what I'm most excited for? Okay. Because I'm this, really fired up about this. I know. And like you're in the, the scouting world and the college training world and, and just your former quarterback. Like this is your time. This Oof. is your time of year where Jake Heaps is the superstar. He's putting the team <laughs> on his back, and I'm just here for the ride. Let's go. And the thing I'm most excited about is that this period from the end of the Super Bowl leading up to the NFL Combine and the draft, yeah, like it just it gets so exhausting at times where you, you're measuring guys and their hand size and their forty yard dash and their wonderlick <laughs> scores, and all of a sudden, it, it a lot of these measurables become redundant or just don't matter in the end for sure i mean we were looking at kyler murray gosh is this guy going to be five nine and three or, or five nine and five eighths or is he going to be five ten and a quarter what's the difference exactly can the guy play football or can he not play football underwear olympics and then my favorite part curtis is literally the the last couple days before the draft uh dan or uh, dwayne haskins and daniel jones have literally been linked to about three different teams uh, saying that all those teams want those two prospects badly. Um, and, and so it, it's just so funny to see the last-minute leaks, who's going to jump where. You don't know until the actual day arrives. And uh, really the only few teams that know and solidified their picks are really going to be one and two and maybe three. And then after that, it's a crapshoot. And this is where I wish, I wish, Curtis, that all of the mock drafters out there, and these guys do an incredible job, they work their tails off, but I wish that there was a rating on how those guys do <laughs> because there is no accountability no. for their accuracy. They are just throwing stuff out there, and then at the end of the day they throw their hands up and say, well, I mean, there's only so much you can do. It's just a guess. It's it's a mock draft. Yeah. They hide behind that that facade. I believe it was the ringer, and I think it was Roger Sherman, uh, who wrote this last year, uh, he was m- giving grades to mock drafters based on the success. Phenomenal. If they got pick number right, player and team right, that was the maximum you could get on a single pick in the draft. And I believe it was Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network who had the highest total of anybody. But even then, I think the number was only like eight correct picks. That's crazy. So he got a quarter <laughs> of the draft correct, and that is the best out of everybody. And you've got guys who 
who have made an entire living off of being draft expert. Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper Jr. Yep. One guy just got hired by an NFL front office, Mike Mayock. Mm-hmm. Like if he's only hitting on twenty five percent of his board or less than that, actually, if Daniel Jeremiah is the only guy grading out that high. Then it's like, does anybody know what's going on it, tomorrow it, night? And that, I don't think anybody does. No, nobody does. And that's the fascinating part about all of this is that you can link teams to certain spots. I mean, the Seahawks, obviously, last year with the surprise pick uh, of running back of Rashad Penny, that was that sent shockwaves through Seattle when that pick came through. Absolutely. Um, and so you just really don't know what teams are looking for, what their desire is, and, and, and what they're willing to give up or jump up for. Uh, so that's why there is so much excitement around the draft because there's so much maneuvering. Um, and for the Seahawks, we are going to anticipate a lot of fireworks, whether they're going to stay in, in, in the first two rounds with that new acquired uh, draft pick from, from Frank Clark, trading them to, uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs, or uh, they start moving, moving back. And so it's, it's, there's a lot of intrigue in this one, especially if you're a Seattle fan. Yeah, Seahawks enter tomorrow night, the first round of the draft, with two first-round draft picks in hand for the first time since 2010, a draft in which they got Russell Okung and Earl Thomas with those selections. So, I mean, the precedent, this isn't the first time John Schneider and Pete Carroll have had this kind of uh, draft capital in their back pocket, but that was also their first season when they were trying to establish everything here in Seattle. Now, we know what they we know what they want out of a guy. We don't exactly know what they're going to do in the draft because I think there have been years I can't remember the last time that anybody has like successfully predicted what they're going to do in the first round. I mean, yeah, there were those years where the offensive line was the most glaring need out there, but last year no one projected Rashad Penny. I think few people draft or had Bruce Irvin as a mock draft not even the close Seahawks. right James Carpenter you know a lot of surprising guys who have come through here Kristen Michael Paul Richardson I don't know if a lot of people had those guys projected uh to go as high as they did here with Seattle and, and especially with Kristen Michael's pick when you had Marshawn Lynch already here. yep Russell Wilson uh they traded up to get Tyler Lockett um so there's there's uh there's a lot of intrigue with the Seahawks and they just seem to uh, be on a different level from a lot of other franchises out there with their ability to evaluate not only talent but the right fit for them, and uh, you know it's going to be a lot of fun going into this going to this draft starting tomorrow. And how about tonight? Let's let's get into what is on tonight's timeline here as we open up every single Seattle sports at night. As we said, less than 24 hours away from the draft that takes place in Nashville. You can hear the draft coverage beginning tomorrow at 3 p.m. on 710 ESPN Seattle. Draft going on in Nashville. I'm so, like, I am excited because this, to me, is one of my favorite nights on the sports calendar. Yeah, there there is not a game being played tomorrow. But there are going to be so many stories just based off of guys' personalities, mm-hmm. where people get picked, how that affects the rest of the draft board. It is a night of drama, and it is a night that every single network now wants to get a piece of because it's going to be, it's obviously on ESPN, which is where it's always been. It's going to be on NFL Network, and now it's also going to be on ABC, Thursday right. night prime time. I mean, this is a bigger deal now than it has ever been. Absolutely. And there, like you said, a lot of drama, a lot of intrigue, and also a lot of life-altering 
moments here. Uh, kids who have worked their entire life dreaming of this moment now kind of forming into a reality. Guys who have been five-star players, guys who have been no-star players now getting drafted. And so very cool moments, very cool stories, uh, and uh, can't wait for this thing. Like you said, Curtis, 710 is going to be all over it over the next couple days and can't wait to uh, – Covered this whole thing through throughout the the last three days. All three days we have got coverage starting tomorrow at three p.m. Do not miss that. Mariners though today they played a day game against the San Diego Padres. It was a vintage performance from Felix Hernandez, which is a great thing, and also a vintage result, which was the bad thing. The Mariners <laughs> dropped it one to nothing today. They could not figure out San Diego's Chris Paddock to stay to save their life. Paddock only giving up one hit over seven innings of work striking out nine, but Felix gave up three hits over seven innings of work, just the one run on the Ian Kinsler home run. He struck out eight. It was a really good day for Felix Hernandez, and yeah, the score was very discouraging, but to see Felix continue to pile up good start after decent start, and now a quality start is encouraging, and it has us asking the question, which we're going to answer coming up in about 20, 20 minutes from now, what if Felix is good? What yep. if he's good again? What does that mean for the Mariners in 2019? What does that mean for the Mariners in 2020? Absolutely. We that, answer that. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's going to be a lot of questions that's swirling around Felix Hernandez this year in terms of if he is performing the way he is, does it change the rotation and how it's shaped up right now? Also, does it change your approach and what you're going to do with Felix Hernandez? Are you going to keep him for the entire year and try and sign him later on because he's revived himself? Or are you now trying to look for draft capital uh, at Felix Hernandez? So, I don't know. It's going to be intriguing, but it's always hard for me to watch Felix Hernandez Throughout his whole career, he's he's had a hard time, a rough go with great performances and little run support, and uh, it, it's just one of those things that uh, Felix just seem can't seem to catch a break in in a lot of these instances. Unfortunately, not. But uh, I mean, he's, he may be useless, which is unfortunately a bad thing to get used to is is not having the run support there. But the Mariners drop both games of the series. They come home though for six, taking on the Texas Rangers for four, starting tomorrow night. Uh, back at T-Mobile Park, so make sure you're out there for that one as well. Some NFL news. He's not a Seahawk, but he played a big role in what the Seahawks have done over the last decade. Marshawn Lynch is expected to retire again. Adam Schefter tweeting today that Lynch has no plans of coming back to football this season. So I think you can kind of assume from there that he's going to retire again. But Marshawn also is a guy that... He, he likes to leave doors open. Yeah. He'll always leave a door open, especially for his hometown of Oakland. Uh, but it appears as though he is finally calling it quits. Absolutely. And I think this makes a lot of sense for him, especially, especially the direction in which the Oakland Raiders are going. Um, and it was just amazing to see all the videos, the, the throwback videos that were coming out today uh, in, in memory of Marshawn Lynch and his amazing career. And, and gosh, that guy was the lifeblood of this team and this Seattle Seahawks run that made it to uh, two Super Bowls uh, back-to-back. And and as you were watching this team grow, Marshawn Lynch was uh, the attitude, uh, the swagger, the, you know, the, the personality that he had. It just permeated through this team, and the city embraced him. Uh, so uh, best of luck to Marshawn Lynch uh, as he retires. Yeah, over 10,000 rushing yards in his career, 84 career rushing touchdowns. 
at nine receiving, so 93 total touchdowns in his career. It's going to be interesting to see what his Hall of Fame case looks like. Certainly one of the most dominant running backs of his era. You wonder, though, if his relationships with the media may have turned some of those voters off uh, in his candidacy, but definitely one of the faces of the NFL over the last 15 years or so, uh, ever since he took took to, the NFL by storm. To me, he's a he's a Barry Sanders in terms of the fact that Barry Sanders retired early. His his statistics were incredible. Uh, Marshawn Lynch isn't necessarily at the top or towards the top in a lot of the statistical categories for a running back, but his impact and the way he played the game, he is absolutely a Hall of Fame player. And uh, I'm with you, Curtis. It'll be interesting to see what what uh, the media ends up deciding to do if they're voting him in or not. One thing I can guarantee you is that he will have a spot in the Seahawks Ring of Honor at the bare minimum. Absolutely. You got to put him there, maybe even retire the jersey. Uh, but I know with the Seahawks organization, you got to have the gold jacket to get a retired jersey. But maybe, <laughs> maybe they make an exception for for a few of these guys over the last decade here in Seattle. Uh, some college football news locally out on Montlake. Jimmy Lake, the defensive coordinator for the Huskies, one of the architects of the Death Row Dogs defense, he has received a new three year contract from the University of Washington, making him now the highest-paid assistant in the Pac-12. We saw it this last offseason. Alabama, come they came charging hard at Jimmy Lake for his services, but now it appears as though Lake will be staying at UW for the foreseeable future. Great news here. This is, uh, this is a huge uh, opportunity for the Huskies to be able to extend and keep Jimmy Lake uh, for a few more years, and I think Jimmy Lake is the Brett Venables uh, of the Pac-12. Brett Venables is uh, the defensive coordinator for Clemson and has had multiple, multiple opportunities to be a head coach and understands and realizes what the opportunity that he has at Clemson. He loves it there, uh, and, and Jimmy Lake is very much in the same breath. He loves being here in Washington. He loves the program. He loves his ability to just worry about his defense and continue to get star recruit after star recruit and churn them into uh, draft prospects. And he's got a great thing going on here. So sometimes going for the bigger and better thing isn't always better, and I think Jimmy Lake realizes that. Huskies, the class of the Pac-12 right now, and I don't know if there's any program in the Pac-12 that can come close to them in terms of what they've got going for them, momentum that they have built and, and that they're building on at, in, at Montlake. So it's a, an incredible time to be a Husky right now, uh, especially with Jimmy Lake back in the fold, or at least staying in the fold for the next three seasons. And then probably the best news of the last 24 hours, at least from a former Sonics fan standpoint of, oh, yeah. as myself, and I know you repped hard for the green and gold in your youth, but Damian Lillard, he said, you know what, Seattle? I got you. Yes, he did. You don't need to worry anymore because Damian Lillard, with the help of <laughs> Kevin Calabro, Seattle's own on this call, put the biggest dagger into Oklahoma City. Lillard with 47 tonight, working it down to 2-1, to one, a deep three. Oh! What? Blazers win the series, a walk-off three from Lillard. Probable, impossible three. 
just uh, I get chills listening oh. to that Ooh. because of the stakes in which it happened, closing out the first round series of the NBA playoffs. The play, how crazy it was, Damian Lillard with a step back three from 37 feet at the buzzer. And then obviously Kevin Calabro, a Northwest legend, a Seattle icon on the mic, giving Incredible. it his all on that and call. Gi- and giving the Dave Niehaus yeah. tribute right there. I mean, just everything about that was incredible. Oh, I love it so much, so much. It warms my heart. We love it so much that we're going to talk about it even further here on Seattle Sports Tonight. That's coming up about 8.15, the dagger that sunk Oklahoma City. Was Tuesday night the most satisfying thunder loss ever? Yeah, we're petty. We're uh, not above Of course. Exactly. Are you kidding me? You stole our team. We're allowed to be We're going to haunt you forever, exactly. OKC. Forever. Exactly. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Night, the Seahawks moving on from Frank Clark. Did that signal a change in how they're going to do business going forward? We answer that next. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback, Jake Eaps, right here. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night right here, 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in about 10 to 15 minutes from now, Mariners drop it one to nothing today to San Diego. But Felix Hernandez coming up with a very vintage-like performance uh, from Felix's younger days. So that's got us asking, what if Felix is good? What if What if he's actually good again? What does that mean for the Mariners in 2019? What does that mean for the Mariners next season? We answer that coming up 10 to 15 minutes from now. But you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app, driven by your Puget Sound Accurate dealers, Curtis Rogers, and the quarterback, Jake Heaps, here with you. Frank Clark getting moved on to the Kansas City Chiefs organization yesterday. Seahawks getting a boatload of draft picks in return. They get the 29th overall pick. Also, the second round pick, which used to belong to the 49ers. Uh, and then, or it's the worst of the two second round picks, or that is going to be in 2020. Yeah. And then they also swapped third round picks with Kansas City. So they moved down from 84th to 92nd. So not a huge difference there, just eight different picks. We saw yesterday the Seahawks take a different course of action with a guy who is due a big-time contract that we haven't seen in years past. In in Seattle, John Schneider and Pete Carroll had made it a point to reward guys coming up on that second deal. And they had paid everybody. Everybody got a deal. Yeah, Russell Wilson got a deal. Earl, Cam, Sherm, every single one of those guys, they got that second deal. And a lot of them got the third deal. Frank Clark didn't get the second deal from Seattle. He did eventually get paid. He got paid a ton from the Kansas City Chiefs, over $100 million. My question is, did the trade of Frank Clark, did that signal a forever set-in-stone change in how the Seahawks do business going forward with guys who are up for that second deal? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point that you make. I, I think that it definitely gives them pause but also when you look at Richard Sherman you look at Earl Thomas you look at Cam Chancellor uh, those were positions that weren't cap breaking top of the market deals Uh, you were able to pay all of them uh, but when you look at it in this case 
Uh, you've got Russell Wilson, who just got paid a, a massive contract. Uh, Frank Clark, now we see, and that and that's what I continue to hear as this thing was, I was, I was hearing more and more that Frank wanted to get paid above Demarcus Lawrence. And that, that came to a surprise. Maybe he wanted to be in that range, but not above him. So that that is a twenty million twenty one million dollar hit. That is your second highest paid position in the National Football League. Now you've also got Jaron Reed coming down the line, who is going to get somewhere in that range into the seventeen eighteen million dollar range when his contract is up when it's all said and done. And then Bobby Wagner is also going to be in the eighteen million dollar range as well. So. Uh, that's that's a lot of capital that's going to four players only. And what the Seahawks were able to do, even when they were paying some of those other guys, is like I said before, those were not uh, um, you know deals that were holding the cap for the Seahawks' ransom. Uh, it made them have to uh, adjust some of their approach, and they tried to do that on the offensive line. It didn't work. Uh, but this time around, if they would have paid Frank, Russ, Bobby, and Jaron Reed, it would have crippled them from a cap standpoint. And I think they realized that, obviously. And with the fact that you're dealing Frank Clark, I think it more has to do with the fact they want to get back to what they were what they were able to do in their Super Bowl runs. And what was that? It was the fact that on the defensive line, you had incredible depth. And I know people are going to be listening to this going, Jake, well, Frank Clark is one of your best pass rushers. He's one of the best pass rushers in the league, and you just gave him away. That that hurts your depth. Absolutely it does. But right now, they're in a better position to gain depth, to gain six to eight defensive linemen that are actually contributing to your group. You're relying on guys developing from year one to year two, year two to year three, and then now with the new money that you have uh, in, in the void of Frank Clark, now you have the ability to get a Ziggy Ansa, an Indominican Sue, a Muhammad Wilkerson, Nick Perry, or Derek Morgan, and also the other name that we keep forgetting to throw out there is Shane Ray from the Denver Broncos. So you've got some really good quality veterans that you could get on a prove-it type of deal while, while continuing to foster a maybe a new first-round draft pick. Uh, and and the guys that you have right now, you can get some incredible depth and get great competition. And so that gets me excited about the possibilities of what this team can be from a defensive line perspective. What's interesting to me about the Seahawks and, and where they're at offensively, paying Russell Wilson what they are, what they're going to pay Bobby Wagner, what they're what they likely will pay him. To me, it's interesting to watch them go from a team that went cheap on offense with Russell Wilson being on his rookie deal and paying everybody on the defense, getting them their money, and just going all in with that. How over the last two seasons we have seen that completely flip now Mm -hmm. where the Seahawks have just said, all right, the defense, that's where we're going to go cheap now because we have invested in Russell Wilson. He is our franchise quarterback. And I think it's actually it's not a bad strategy because, you know, in the NFL, you can still – I mean, people point out that Russell Wilson and the amount of percentage that his contract is taking up the salary cap, no team has ever won with that much. But you look at Tom Brady, it's not like he's making pennies on the dollar. He's, yeah. yeah, he's not making what Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are making, 
But it's not like the Patriots are paying him a rookie contract. They still have to maneuver his deal around, yeah. which we're going to point out here in a little bit, that Patriots may not be able to do as much this offseason as we've seen them do in years past. Absolutely. The Colts, they're paying Andrew Luck a lot of money, and yet they still have the most cap space of any team in the NFL. They had well over $100 million in cap space. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like... And the Seahawks are shaping up to be really, really... Uh, you know, in a in a great situation cap wise going into 2020 and 2021 as of right now. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but Curtis, I'm right there with you, man. I, I think that also you look at this and from a risk reward standpoint as well. You ended up paying guys that got hurt. That I think a defensive player and especially the way that the Legion of Boom played and and the recklessness and and the abandon that. Uh, that they had, uh, they just went out there and flew around and, and hit people, and, and and it ended up catching up to them eventually. Cam Chancellor, um, you know, Cliff Averill, uh, uh, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, those guys ended up getting hurt at different points in time, which which hurt your team. And when you're going to put money, who are you going to put money into? You're going to put it into the most consistent guys in your in your building, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. And then you build everything else around it because you know, as of right now, they've shown you nothing less other than you can count on them to be there for every practice, every game, and that they're going to perform at the highest level. Exactly. And unlike Bennett and Sherm and Earl, those three guys who, yeah, they produced every single time they were out on the field, they came with their headaches. They came with practices in which they didn't show up. They came with those kinds of, of moments where it was very obvious that they were in it for themselves, where Russ and Bobby and, and KJ also in that group, because KJ gets overlooked. He's also on his third contract. Mm-hmm. Those three guys have never once sat out of practice for personal gain. Those three guys have never been disruptive in how they've gone about their business. Obviously, Russell's setting the, the calendar date to be April 15th, but that wasn't a a franchise crippling move as we've seen the Seahawks were still able to do their business moving Frank Clark yesterday correct and i think to me yeah it may not be it may not be the best thing for the players union and all those things when players just kind of do as they're told whereas you've got guys like Antonio Brown and and Odell Beckham who have kind of forced their way out of situations and have been taking control of their future yeah rather than kind of let it play out. But the Seahawks have rewarded Russ very handsomely. They've rewarded KJ with a third deal. And I think they're about to reward Bobby Wagner with his third deal. Absolutely. And I think they're going to change how they do business when it comes to players who are up against that big second deal in in the NFL because whoever they draft this year, who knows if they're going to be here four or five years from now. Right, and that that was something that Frank tweeted out, actually, and he was frustrated, and, and rightfully so. I get it. He wanted to be here in Seattle. He loved it here, um, and, and he embraced this city, uh, this organization, and this organization was great to him, but uh, he didn't want to be a Kansas City Chief. He wanted to be a Seattle Seahawk, but business is business. On both sides of this thing, Frank was not going to bend uh, to what the Seahawks were wanting, 
because uh, he knew he could get paid elsewhere, and the Seahawks were not going to bend to what Frank Clark wanted uh, because they know that they need to be in a certain spot with the cap in order to be competitive. And I, and I see a text coming in from the 360 that says, the Seahawks are weaker this season and have zero chance of winning a Super Bowl. And I firmly disagree with that. Said Mike Salk texting. I, I don't know. I, I just I firmly disagree with this because he's not a three, I, six, I, I think right now when you look at this roster and now Frank Clark has departed, yeah, things don't look good. It, it's not great, and it doesn't make you feel good when one of the, the elite pass rushers in this game is gone. Someone that you developed, that you took a chance on, um, and, and to see him walk, it, it's, it's never a great feeling. But what they are able to do right now, yes, they have needs, but you have to remember. The Seahawks are banking on the fact that they are that they can develop better than anyone in the National Football League, and they've got great talent year, uh, from their year one guys. Hopefully, they can get more out of them in year two and year two to year three. And if they can do that, they're going to be in a pretty good spot, and they're going to be able to add competition uh, through the draft and through free agency uh, to to bolster this group and and uh, and give maybe one more playmaker to Russell Wilson. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports at Night, Felix Hernandez. He looked really good today. Three hits over seven innings pitched. What if he's good? How does that change the outlook for the Mariners in 2019? How does it change things in 2020? We answer that next. Curtis Rogers and Jake Heap, Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in a little bit here, time for another edition of Four Down Territory as we close out every hour, or every first hour of Seattle Sports at Night. Jaron Reed, he underwent sports hernia surgery yesterday. Is that a story? Because he should be fine for training camp, so should we be worried about the Seahawks' big defensive tackle and his health heading into the 2019 season? We got Jake Heaps, the quarterback, here to answer that question, as well as three others, ending the first hour here of Seattle Sports Tonight. Hey, you can text DRAFT to 710-710 to receive exclusive Seahawks draft alerts throughout all seven rounds. Listen live all three days, beginning tomorrow at 3 p.m., and join us for our live video stream at 710sports.com. Throughout every minute of the draft, that's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, text DRAFT to 710-710 to stay plugged in. Our coverage of the 2019 NFL Draft is brought to you by TSA Jobs. Coming up uh, in, what is it, in a half or 20 minutes from now, we are going to give you the Seattle Sports at Night, what we think the Seahawks should do at pick 21 and 29. I know John Schneider and Pete Carroll are going to be listening very closely Taking to us. copious notes. Absolutely, because we are about to drop knowledge here mm. in the next 20 minutes. Taking you to church here on <laughs> this Wednesday night. But the Mariners today, unfortunately, could not muster up any offense against the San Diego Padres, only coming away with two hits on the entire day. At one point, 23 Mariners in a row were sat down in What's order. What's going on, Curtis? I, I wish I knew. If I knew, I'd be in that dugout coaching them up, right? I think that's that's kind of how that works. Instead, I, I don't, so I'm hosting the postgame show. Yeah. Okay, there you so, go. <laughs> but today, <laughs> one good thing, though, was Felix Hernandez's performances. He goes seven innings, only giving up three hits. And Felix, never lacking in confidence, he was asked about his about his performance today and said, you know, it wasn't all that impressive. I've done it before. 
Well, Figs, that was that was pretty impressive, man. What was the last why, time? Why, why was I impressed? I mean, you see if it's better than that. I, true, but when's the last time that, that, that you had uh-huh. gone out there and felt like uh, felt like old Felix out there? Um, Dominant. I feel it feels really good. Last time was like long time ago. Probably last year at the beginning. When I finished Boston, I think. Oh, Tampa. So Felix just saying, I mean, I've done that before. What, <laughs> what, why is that impressive? Because oh. you haven't done it in like three years, bro. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's uh, Felix. I think from a player's perspective, I think that's uh, a very vindicating moment for Felix, for all the media that's been extremely hard on him. And, you know, you and I have been part of that group. And, yes. And uh, to see Felix come out and play the way he has so far this season – uh, it's been very surprising. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, you know how Vince Carter is still, like, 42, 43 years old, and he's playing in the NBA, and he still can dunk? And whenever he throws one down in a game, it gets shared, like, all across social media, and it's like, oh, my gosh, look at Vince Carter. And it's like, yeah, he used to do this all the time. Like, this was what he did every single game out there. Has the greatest dunk highlight reel you'll ever see on YouTube but now it makes it more impressive because he doesn't do it as often. And I think that's what made today and what Felix's performance was, I think that's what made today so special in seeing him out there and mowing down San Diego hitters left and right, and not just like having them take pitches and paint the black, but he was generating tons and swings and misses. Yeah, And it was something that what old Felix did nightly like it was no big deal for Felix to generate that many swings and misses the way he did it today and Scott Service said this is the best outing he's seen from Felix in his time in Seattle that is probably the best outing I've seen on Felix Hernandez since uh, since I've been a man I thought he was awesome today uh, you know he, he followed the game plan he executed uh, a really good curveball today obviously and, and got that going and uh, really to his benefit and, you know, snuck in some fastballs late. You know, the only the hiccup was, uh, you know, the first pitch home run at Kinsler hit. And certainly Kinsler has seen him a ton. He's going to have a probably 70, 75 career bats against him. But uh, Felix did an awesome job. Uh, you know, I feel bad we couldn't uh, extend the game or get him the win today. But, uh, you know, we'll take plenty of outings like that. It was great to see. Think about it. It's four years Scott Service has been here. And that's the best he's ever seen Felix today after yeah. just breaking him down over the last three seasons to where he became a shell of himself. And all of a sudden today you look at what he did and it gets me wondering, what if Felix is good? What does that mean for this year's team? I I think based off of this first month alone, I think Felix has asserted himself into the Mariners starting rotation as a permanent member through the trade deadline, or at least to the trade deadline, yeah. July 31st. Absolutely. We were, we were talking about him potentially being cut at one point in time before the trade, de- trade deadline because we anticipated that there was going to be very to, there was going to be very little trade value. Um, and now if Felix is pitching this way, and what I'm curious for Mariners fans is what do you want them to do? If Felix is pitching great um, and, and he's looking like the Felix of old, maybe in a different way and getting it done differently, but still uh, being a dominant uh, pitcher, what do you want? Do you want the the Mariners to trade him? Do you want for this to be a ceremonious year? Because the reality is, is what Felix has experienced through this year, this is going to be his last year. There's no way. I I cannot imagine that Felix Hernandez comes back to the Mariners after after this season. Let's say Felix gives the Mariners this year 150 innings, which – 
has not been something he's done on a routine level. Well, he gave them 155 last year, but they weren't 155 good innings. Yeah. They were pretty bad to mediocre, or mediocre to bad, I should say. He hasn't given them 150 good, solid innings since probably the 2016 season. It's 2019 right now. Yes. It's been a while. And if if he can go out and give them a sub-4 ERA this season with 150-something innings under that belt, I'm okay with bringing Felix back on a one-year deal next year. I wouldn't commit more than that to him. One-year deal, very incentive-heavy deal where the base salary is only a couple million dollars because, I mean, obviously he hasn't earned the paycheck that he's currently receiving right now. Yeah, but do you think he's going to settle for that? I mean, to me, the guy that just answered that question to Brad Adams, that doesn't sound like a guy that's willing to settle for a couple million to stay here locally in Seattle. It, it, it seems like Felix Hernandez is going to want to try and pitch somewhere else uh, and maybe have a chance to go pitch for a contending team instead of a team that's rebuilding. And so, you know, we've got here on the text line, we've got two conflicting responses here. They think that they should trade Felix because DePoto said they're in a rebuilding year. He's getting old. And the other one says you keep Felix no matter how good he's pitching. And I don't understand that guy right there. Whoever, you yeah. know, the 206 that just texted in, how can how can that be your response no matter what? Why? Is it because yeah, ceremonious you, reasons? There's like, already a mascot there. His name's the Moose. Like you don't need somebody who's just <laughs> so terrible that you just keep him for ceremonious reasons. Like that's not how you build a winning ball club. That's not how you do it at all. Uh, Scott Service asked if today reinforces Felix's belief that he's still got it. It really is, yeah. Uh, I think Felix has thrown the ball for the most part every time out this year. He's given us a chance to win, and, and uh, that's what we asked, you know, asked for all of our guys. But uh, again, today, I'm really excited about his ability to, you know, to add and subtract from the curveball. He got a lot of strikeouts early. You can kind of see his energy level pick up. He is a strikeout pitcher at heart. We all know that, and it was nice to see him get a few today. What do you think the Mariners should do? Text that in. Coors Light text line 710-710. Should they keep Felix or move on from him? That is what your prompt is on the Coors Light text line right now, 710-710. But coming up next, it's time for some four-down territory. What is the very first roster move the Seahawks should make post-NFL draft? We've got the draft coming up tomorrow, but we're already looking ahead beyond the draft. We answer that question next. Curtis Rogers, Jay Keeps, Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. This this is Four Down Territory on Seattle Sports at Night. Yeah, dig deep, deep, deep. Yeah, we do. We got to dig real deep here. Four Down Territory, Seattle Sports at Night. We got the quarterback Jake Heaps here to answer the four most pressing questions of the day, as we are less than twenty-four hours away from the NFL draft. In fact, the Seahawks. They're probably going to start picking. They get the 21st pick, so about 10 minutes per pick, 200 or so minutes after the start of the draft. Probably around like 9 or 10 o'clock tomorrow. Wow. That's if they stay where okay. they're at. Okay. So Interesting. Buckle up, folks. Well, yeah, we I, I will, I will be us. on 710 with Stacey Ross uh, and Danny O'Neill talking about that pick at that moment in time. So. Uh, it's it's going to be a long night, but it's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be a lot of drama, a lot of excitement. There's going to be plenty to talk about. It is going to be a long night, but we're here for the long haul. Let's get to question number one. Number one. First down to you, Jake. 
Jaron Reed underwent a sports hernia operation yesterday, sports hernia surgery in Philadelphia, but he should be fine for training camp. Is this a story? It's a good question. Sports hernia injury, you never want to see one of your star players, especially after you deal Frank Clark, your best pass rusher on your team, and Jaron Reed uh, have any type of uh, surgery, off-season surgery, and especially during OTAs. Now, it's not the end of the world, but you certainly want to have your leader uh, of your, you know, the next leader of your defense next to Bobby Wagner uh, in that building with them, uh, participating and, and bringing those other guys along, those, the young core that they have, and him being a leader in that group. Uh, this is really a non-story. He'll be ready to go for training camp, and as long as uh, he's not having to slowly work his way back in once training camp starts, then there's really nothing to be concerned about. Number two. Second down. We've got the Seahawks making the draft picks this weekend. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they got five in total right now. Could have more by the end of the weekend. But after the weekend is done, when all these guys have been picked and selected and also the undrafted free agents have been signed, what is the very first roster move the Seahawks should make post-draft? Without a doubt, it's a veteran defensive lineman and a defensive pass rusher. And right now, the interesting part is that I've got a lot of questions about this is, you know, do if they add a veteran player, do they lose their compensatory picks? And the reality is, is that after May 8th, that's going to be the next round of hot free agency moves because you at that point in time, you don't lose your comp picks uh, if you sign a veteran player, no matter how big his deal is. So... You've got a very interesting list of guys that you can pick from. You've got Ziggy Ansah and Dominic Sue, Muhammad Wilkerson, Nick Perry, Derek Morgan, and Shane Ray. And the name that I really think that the Seahawks are going to be targeting is probably along the lines of Nick Perry, Derek Morgan, and Dominic Sue, and Shane Ray. And all of these guys are on this list for a reason. One, either they're uh, older in age, or two, they've been banged up with injuries. Um, and, uh, and sometimes that is a very... That's a situation where you're very leery, especially the Ziggy Ansa. The the opportunity, the ceiling is very, very high. Ziggy is one of the best pass rushers in this league, uh, and if you could get him healthy, that would be an incredible steal in terms of value on a proven deal. But uh, I believe Shane Ray is a young enough player that he can bounce back, and he's plenty motivated to show what he can do on a one-year deal, along with Nick Perry. Uh, and a uh, Derek Morgan. These are guys that will have a high motor that can play at a very high level. And Indominic and Sue is one that makes you weary just because of his record of you know, not practicing at an extremely high level or giving his all in every single game. But, man, his, uh, his production uh, goes without saying, and he would be a great uh, piece. Him and Jaron Reed would be uh, a, hand, a, a handful to deal with. We saw, I think, yesterday Baltimore's bring in Ziggy Ansah for a visit so you know there's some interest out there for him and Dominican Sue has visited the Seahawks practice facility once already this offseason. I believe he also visited last offseason before he signed with the LA Rams so I, I very much am with you there Jake that they need to go out and get a veteran pass rusher 
veteran defensive linemen. They need bodies. On I, the I think that they. Line. I think realistically, you can draft one, maybe two, and you can even sign two, depending on how you approach this draft and approach the needs that the Seahawks have. So they very, very much realistically could go after two guys. Um, and then the other post post uh, draft move that they could end up making because of all these additions, they could end up saying goodbye to Barkevius Mingo when it's all said and done. So that'll be something else to keep an eye on. Number three. Got a lot of big local names up for the draft here in the next couple of days. Andre Dillard, Byron Murphy, Taylor Rapp. Which under-the-radar local prospect has the best shot at a long NFL career? Yeah, Miles Gaskin. I mean, it, there there is a lot of names. It's very, very cool uh, to see a lot of Pacific Northwest kids, uh, you know, fulfilling their dreams and, and to see that there is a lot of talent that's coming out of this area. Uh, but to me, Andre Dillard, without question, is the guy that he might be one of the next best left tackles in, in the National Football League for years and years to come. I see Andre Dillard being one of those guys that plays – in the National Football League for 10 to 15 years being a staple for a franchise for a long time. So that would be my pick as a surefire, uh, without question, guy that's going to last in in the NFL. How about under the radar? Somebody who we're not looking at as among these blue-chip guys. Yeah, I would say that that Taylor Rapp is, if you're talking about blue-chip, I mean, Taylor Rapp now running a 4-7. Before that, he was a blue chip prospect, so I guess a better answer would be Miles Gaskin. I really believe Miles Gaskins has what it takes to be successful in the NFL, barring that he goes into the right system. If he's in the right system, man, that guy's great vision. He's he's durable, uh, and and he's got a lot to show for himself in the pass game as well. So I think Miles Gaskin, whoever gets Miles Gaskin, is going to get an extremely hard worker, a guy that can do it all, uh, and, and could have a really nice role in the NFL. Number four. Fourth down, final question before we hit the halfway point. Last chance of getting seven on the board. Ben Roethlisberger, he received a new contract today from the Steelers for north of $30 million per year over the next couple of seasons. Tom Brady, obvious guy who many people point to as as somebody that has taken a discount. Is he the only veteran quarterback out there that is willing to give his team a discount? Yes. Yes, he is. I I think that... Uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger's contract shows that. Drew Brees' contract's going to show that. And Phillip Rivers' contract's going to show that. Uh, you know, these are guys that have the opportunity to create generational wealth uh, for their families, and they're going to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, Tom Brady is in a very unique position. He's got an extremely great relationship with his owner, a uh, very unique relationship there. Uh, and also, he's got a wife that has an incredible amount of money. So they're not in a huge need for cash. Uh, But the other side of it, too, that you have to point to is although the Patriots and Tom Brady have been wheeling and dealing with contract extensions and moving money around to make things work, well, eventually it catches up to you. Because this year, Tom Brady has a $27 million cap hit that you cannot maneuver around. And so that's something that you can buy yourself some time, but eventually... That kind of that kind of dealing is going to catch up to you, uh, and so Tom Brady is not going to be amongst one of the cheapest quarterbacks this season, like he has been in years past. Yeah, twenty seven million dollars hard to get out from underneath that. Coming up next year on Seattle Sports Night, we are on the clock. Jake Heaps and myself, we tell you who the Seahawks should be picking next in the draft. Right here, Seattle Sports Night on seven ten ESPN Seattle.